0: Welcome to The Bookshelf. I'm Doug Nadvornik. We've been diving into The Sun Also Rises, Ernest Hemingway's first major novel published in 1926 by Scribner's. Hemingway tells the story about a group of American and British expatriates who are living in post-World War I Europe. Paris is their base, but today we join them in Spain as they make their way to Pamplona for the famous running of the bulls. Our main character is American writer Jake Barnes. He and his fellow American writer Bill Gorton plan to take a fishing trip first and we catch them today on a bus that's taking them deep into Spain. The sun also rises is nearly 100 years old. We've done a little editing to remove the words and phrases of the time that are no longer socially acceptable. Let's resume our reading on the bookshelf from Spokane Public Radio. The chauffeur came out, folding up the papers, and put them in the inside pocket of his coat. We all got in the car, and it started up into the white, dusty road into Spain. For a while, the country was much as it had been, and then, climbing all the time, we crossed the top of a cull, the road winding back and forth on itself, and then it really was Spain. There were long, brown mountains and a few pines, and far-off forests of beech trees on some of the sides. The road went along the summit of the call, and then it dropped down, and the driver had to honk and slow up and turn out to avoid running into two donkeys that were sleeping in the road. We came down out of the mountains through an oak forest, and there were white cattle grazing in the forest. Down below, there were grassy plains and clear streams. And then we crossed a stream and went through a gloomy little village, and we started to climb again. We climbed up and up and crossed another high call, and turned along it. The road ran down to the right, and we saw a whole new range of mountains off to the south, all brown and baked-looking and furrowed in strange shapes. After a while we came out of the mountains, and there were trees along both sides of the road, and a stream and ripe fields of grain, and the road went on, very white and straight ahead and then it lifted to a little rise, and off to the left was a hill with an old castle, with buildings close around it, and a field of grain going right up to the walls and shifting in the wind. I was up front with the driver, and I turned around. Robert Cohn was asleep. Bill looked and nodded his head. And then we crossed a wide plain, and there was a big river off on the right, shining in the sun from between the line of trees, And away off, you could see the plateau of Pamplona rising out of the plain, and the walls of the city, and the great brown cathedral, and the broken skyline of the other churches. In back of the plateau were the mountains, and every way you looked, there were other mountains, and ahead the road stretched out white across the plain going toward Pamplona. We came into the town on the other side of the plateau. The road slanted up steeply and dustily with shade trees on both sides. And then it leveled out through a new part of town they're building up outside the old walls. We passed the bull ring, high and white and concrete looking in the sun. And then came into the big square by a side street. And we stopped in front of the Hotel Montoya. The driver helped us down with the bags. There was a crowd of kids watching the car. The square was hot. The trees were green and the flags hung on their staffs. And it was good to get out of the sun and under the shade of the arcade that runs all the way around the square. Montoya was glad to see us and shook hands and gave us good rooms looking out onto the square. And then we washed and cleaned up and went downstairs into the dining room for lunch. The driver stayed for lunch too. Afterward we paid him and he started back to Bayonne. There are two dining rooms in the Montoya. One is upstairs on the second floor. It looks out onto the square. The other is down one floor below the level of the square. It has a door that opens on the back street. The bulls pass along when they run through the streets early in the morning on their way to the ring. It's always cool in that downstairs dining room and we had a good lunch. The first meal in Spain is always a shock, with the hors d'oeuvres, an egg course, two meat courses, vegetables, salad, dessert, and fruit. You have to drink lots of wine to get it all down. Robert Cohn tried to say he didn't want any of the second meat course, but we wouldn't interpret for him, and so the waitress brought him something else as a replacement, a plate of cold meats, I think. Cohn had been rather nervous ever since we'd met at Bayonne. He didn't know whether we knew Brett had been with him at San Sebastian, and it made him rather awkward. Well, I said, Brett and Mike ought to get in tonight. I'm not sure they'll come, said Cone. Why not, said Bill? Of course they'll come. They're always late, I said. I rather think they're not coming, said Robert Cone. He said it with an air of superior knowledge that irritated both of us. I'll bet you fifty pesetas they're here tonight, said Bill. He always bets when he gets angry, and so he usually bets foolishly. "'I'll take it,' said Cone. "'Good. You remember it, Jake. Fifty pesetas.' "'I'll remember it myself,' said Bill. "'I saw that he was angry, and I wanted to smooth him down. "'It's a sure thing they'll come,' I said, "'but maybe not tonight.' "'Want to call it off?' Cone asked. "'No. Why should I? Make it a hundred if you like.' "'Okay. I'll take that.' "'That's enough,' I said, "'or you'll have to make a book and give me some of it.' "'I'm satisfied,' said Cone. "'He smiled.' You'll probably win it back at Bridge anyway. You haven't got it yet, said Bill. We went out to walk around under the arcade to the Café Irunia for coffee. Cohn said he was going over to get a shave. Say, said Bill to me, have I got any chance on that bet? You've got a rotten chance, I said. They've never been on time anywhere. If their money doesn't come, it's a cinch they won't get in tonight. I was sorry as soon as I opened my mouth, Bill said, but I had to call him. He's all right, I guess, but where does he get this inside stuff? Mike and Brett fixed it up with us about coming down here. I saw Cone coming across the square. Here he comes. Well, let him not get superior. The barbershop is closed, said Cone. It's not open till four. We had coffee at the Arunia, sitting in comfortable wicker chairs, looking out from the cool of the arcade at the big square. After a while, Bill went to write some letters, and Cone went over to the barbershop. It was still closed, so he decided to go up to the hotel and get a bath. And I sat out in front of the cafe, and then I went out for a walk in the town. It was hot, but I kept on the shady side of the streets, and went through the market and had a good time seeing the town again. I went to the Ayuntamiento and found the old gentleman who subscribes for the bullfight tickets for me every year. He'd gotten the money I'd sent him from Paris and renewed my subscriptions, so that was all set. He was the archivist, and all the archives of the town were in his office. That has nothing to do with this story. Anyway, his office had a green baize door and a big wooden door, and when I went out, I left him sitting among the archives that covered all the walls. I shut both the doors, and as I went out of the building into the street, the porter stopped me to brush off my coat. "'You must have been in a motor car,' he said. The back of the collar and the upper part of the shoulders were gray with dust." ''From Bayonne,'' I said. ''Well, well,'' he said. ''I knew you were in a motor car from the way the dust was, and so I gave him two copper coins.'' At the end of the street I saw the cathedral and I walked toward it. The first time I ever saw it I thought the facade was ugly, but I liked it now and I went inside. It was dim and dark and the pillars went high up. There were people praying and it smelt of incense. There were some big wonderful windows.'' I knelt and started to pray, and I prayed for everyone I could think of, Brett, and Mike, and Bill, and Robert Cohn, and myself, and all the bullfighters separately for the ones I liked and lumping all the rest. And then I prayed for myself again. And while I was praying for myself, I found I was getting sleepy. And so I prayed the bullfights would be good, and that it would be a fine fiesta, and that we would get some fishing. I wondered if there was anything else to pray for, And I thought I'd like to have some money, so I prayed I would make a lot of money. And then I started to think about how I would make it. And thinking about money reminded me of the Count. And I started wondering about where he was, and regretting that I hadn't seen him since that night in Montmartre. And about something funny Brett had told me about him. And as all the time I was kneeling with my forehead on the wood in front of me, and thinking of myself as praying... I was a little ashamed and regretting that I was such a rotten Catholic, but I realized there was nothing I could do about it, at least for a while, and maybe never, but that anyway it was a grand religion, and I only wished I felt religious, and maybe I would the next time, and then I was out in the hot sun on the steps of the cathedral, and the forefingers and the thumb of my right hand were still damp, and I felt them dry in the sun. That sunlight was hot and hard, and I crossed over beside some buildings and walked back along side streets to the hotel. At dinner that night, we found that Robert Cohn had taken a bath, he'd had a shave and a haircut and a shampoo, and something put on his hair afterward to make it stay down. He was nervous, and I didn't try to help him any. The train was due in at 9 o'clock from San Sebastian, and if Brett and Mike were coming, they would be on it. At twenty minutes to nine, we were not halfway through dinner. Robert Cohn got up from the table and said he would go to the station. I said I'd go with him, just to devil him. Bill said he'd be damned if he'd leave his dinner. I said we'd be right back. We walked to the station. I was enjoying Cohn's nervousness. I hoped Brett would be on the train. At the station, the train was late, and we sat on a baggage truck and waited outside in the dark. I have never seen a man in civil life as nervous as Robert Cohn, nor as eager. I was enjoying it. It was lousy to enjoy it, but I felt lousy. Cohn had a wonderful quality of bringing out the worst in everybody. After a while, we heard the train whistle way off below on the other side of the plateau, and then we saw the headlight coming up the hill. We went inside the station and stood with a crowd of people just back of the gates, and the train came up and stopped and everyone started coming out through the gates. They were not in the crowd. We waited till everyone had gone through and out of the station and gotten into buses or taken cabs or were walking with their friends or relatives through the dark into the town. I knew they wouldn't come, said Robert. We were going back to the hotel. I thought they might, I said. "'Bill was eating fruit when we came in "'and finishing a bottle of wine. "'Didn't come, huh?' "'Nope. "'Do you mind if I give you that hundred pesetas "'in the morning, Cone?' Bill asked. "'I haven't changed any money here yet.' "'I'll forget about it,' said Robert. "'Let's bet on something else. "'Can you bet on bullfights?' "'You could,' said Bill, "'but you don't need to.' "'It would be like betting on the war,' I said. "'You don't need any economic interest.' "'I'm curious to see them,' said Robert. "'Montoya came up to our table.' He had a telegram in his hand. It's for you, and he handed it to me. It read, Stopped Night, San Sebastian. It's from them, I said. I put it in my pocket. Ordinarily, I should have handed it over. They've stopped over in San Sebastian, I said. Send their regards to you. Why I felt that impulse to devil him, I don't know. Of course, I do know. I was blind, unforgivingly jealous of what had happened to him. The fact that I took it as a matter of course did not alter that any. I certainly did hate him. I don't think I ever really hated him until he had that little spell of superiority at lunch. That and when he went through all that barbering. And so I put the telegram in my pocket. The telegram had come to me anyway. Well, I said, we ought to pull out on the noon bus. They can follow us if they get in tomorrow night. There were only two trains up from San Sebastian, an early morning train and the one we had just met. "'Sounds like a good idea,' said Cone. "'The sooner we get on the stream, the better,' I said. "'It's all one to me when we start,' said Bill. "'The sooner the better.' "'We sat in the Arunia for a while and had coffee "'and then took a little walk out to the Bullring "'and across the field and under the trees "'at the edge of the cliff, "'and we looked down at the river in the dark. "'I turned in early. "'Bill and Cone stayed out in the café quite late, I believe, "'because I was asleep when they came in.' Let's stop for a minute and let our new listeners know that we're reading Ernest Hemingway's novel The Sun Also Rises here on the bookshelf from Spokane Public Radio. In the morning, I bought three tickets for the bus to Burgette. It was scheduled to leave at 2 o'clock. There was nothing earlier. I was sitting over at the Arunia reading the papers when I saw Robert Cohn coming across the square. He came up to the table and sat down in one of the wicker chairs. "'This is a comfortable café,' he said. "'Did you have a good night, Jake?' "'I slept like a log,' I said. "'I didn't sleep very well. "'Bill and I were out late, too. "'Where were you?' "'Here.' "'And after it shut, we went over to that other café. "'The old man there speaks German and English. "'The Café Suizo. "'That's it. "'He seems like a nice old fella. "'I think it's a better café than this one. "'It's not so good in the daytime,' I said. "'Too hot. "'By the way, I got the bus tickets.' "'I'm not going up today. You and Bill go on ahead. "'I got your ticket,' I said. "'Give it to me. I'll get the money back. "'It's five pesetas.' "'Robert Cohn took out a silver five peseta piece and gave it to me. "'I ought to stay,' he said. "'You see, I'm afraid there's some sort of misunderstanding. "'Why?' I said. "'They may not come here for three or four days now "'if they start on parties at San Sebastian.' "'That's just it,' said Robert. "'I'm afraid they expected to meet me at San Sebastian, "'and that's why they stopped over.' What makes you think that? Well, I wrote suggesting it to Brett, he said. Why in hell didn't you stay there and meet them then, I started to say, but I stopped. I thought that idea would come to him by itself, but I don't think it ever did. He was being confidential now, and it was giving him pleasure to be able to talk with the understanding that I knew there was something between him and Brett. Well, Bill and I will go up right after lunch, I said. I wish I could go, he said. We've been looking forward to this fishing all winter. He was being sentimental about it. But I ought to stay. I really ought. As soon as they come, I'll bring them right up. Let's find Bill, I said. I want to go over to the barber shop. See you at lunch. I found Bill up in his room. He was shaving. Oh, yeah, he told me all about it last night, said Bill. He's a great little confider. He said he had a date with Brett at San Sebastian. The lying bastard, I said. Oh, no, said Bill. Don't get sore. Don't get sore at this stage of the trip. How'd you ever happen to know this fella anyway? Don't rub it in, I said. Bill looked around. He was half shaved and then went on talking into the mirror while he lathered his face. Didn't you send him with a letter to me in New York last winter? Thank God I'm a traveling man. Haven't you got some more friends you could bring along? He rubbed his chin with his thumb, looked at it and started scraping again. You've got some fine ones yourself, I said. Oh yeah, I've got some darbs, but not alongside of this Robert Cohn. Funny thing is, he's nice too. I like him, but he's just so awful. He can be damn nice, I said. I know it. That's the terrible part. I laughed. Yeah, go on and laugh, said Bill. You weren't out with him last night until two o'clock. Was he very bad? Awful. What's all this about him and Brett, anyway? Did she ever have anything to do with him? He raised his chin up and pulled it from side to side. Sure, she went down to San Sebastian with him. What a damn fool thing to do. Why did she do that? Oh, she wanted to get out of town, and she can't go anywhere alone. She said she thought it would be good for him. What bloody fool things that people do, he said. Why didn't she go off with some of her own people? Or you, he slurred that over. Or me. Why not me? He looked at his face carefully in the glass. He put a big dab of lather on each cheekbone. It's an honest face, a face any woman would be safe with. She'd never seen it, I said. She should have. All women should see it. It's a face that ought to be thrown on every screen in the country. Every woman ought to be given a copy of this face as she leaves the altar. Mothers should tell their daughters about this face. My son, he pointed the razor at me, go west with this face and grow up with the country. He ducked down into the bowl, rinsed his face with cold water, put on some alcohol, and then looked at himself carefully in the glass, pulling down his long upper lip. My God, he said, isn't this an awful face? And as for this Robert Cohn, Bill said, he makes me sick and he can go to hell and I'm damn glad he's staying here so we won't have him fishing with us. You're damn right, I said. We're going trout fishing, he said. We're going trout fishing in the Arati River and we're going to get tight now at lunch on the wine of the country and then let's take a swell bus ride. Come on, I said, let's go over to the Arunia and start. Chapter 11 It was baking hot in the square when we came out after lunch with our bags and the rod case to go to Burgetta. People were on top of the bus. Others were climbing up a ladder. Bill went up and Robert sat beside him to save a place for me and I went back in the hotel to get a couple of bottles of wine to take with us. When I came out the bus was crowded. Men and women were sitting on all the baggage and the boxes on top. The women all had their fans going in the sun. It certainly was hot. Robert climbed down and I fitted into the place he had saved on the one wooden seat that ran across the top. Robert Cohn stood in the shade of the arcade, waiting for us to start. A basque with a big leather wine bag in his lap lay across the top of the bus in front of our seat, leaning back against our legs. He offered the wineskin to Bill and to me, and when I tipped it up to drink, he imitated the sound of a klaxon motor horn so well and so suddenly that I spilled some of the wine and everyone laughed. He apologized and made me take another drink. He made the klaxon again a little later, and it fooled me the second time. He was good at it. The Basques liked it. The man next to Bill was talking to him in Spanish, and Bill wasn't getting it. And so he offered the man one of the bottles of wine. The man waved it away. He said it was too hot. He'd drunk too much at lunch. When Bill offered the bottle a second time, he took a long drink. And then the bottle went all over that part of the bus. Everyone took a drink very politely and then they made us cork it up and put it away. They all wanted us to drink from their leather wine bottles. They were peasants going up into the hills. And finally, after a couple more false klaxons, the bus started, and Robert Cohn waved goodbye to us, and all the Basques waved goodbye to him. As soon as we started out on the road outside of town, it was cool. It felt nice riding up high and close under the trees. The bus went very fast, and it made a good breeze, and as we went out along the road with the dust powdering the trees and down the hill, we had a fine view back through the trees of the town rising up from the bluff above the river. The Basque lying against my knees pointed out the view with the neck of his wine bottle and winked at us. He nodded his head. "'Pretty nice, eh?' "'These Basques are swell people,' said Bill.' The basque lying against my legs was tanned the color of saddle leather. He wore a black smock like all the rest. There were wrinkles in his tanned neck. He turned around and offered his wine bag to Bill. Bill handed him one of our bottles. The basque wagged a forefinger at him and handed the bottle back. He slapped the cork in with the palm of his hand and shoved the wine bag up. Arriba, arriba, he said, lift it up. "'Bill raised the wineskin and let the stream of wine "'spurt out into his mouth. "'His head tipped back. "'When he stopped drinking and tipped the leather bottle back down, "'a few drops ran down his chin. "'No, no,' several Basques said, "'not like that.' "'One snatched the bottle away from the owner, "'who was himself about to give a demonstration.' He was a young fellow, and he held the wine bottle at full arm's length and raised it high up. He squeezed the leather bag with his hand so the stream of wine hissed into his mouth. He held the bag out there, the wine making a flat, hard trajectory into his mouth, and he kept on swallowing smoothly and regularly. "'Hey!' the owner of the bottle shouted, "'Whose wine is that?' The drinker waggled his little finger at him and smiled at us with his eyes. Then he bit the stream off sharp, made a quick lift with the wine bag, and lowered it down to the owner. He winked at us. The owner shook the wineskin sadly. We passed through a town and stopped in front of the Posada, and the driver took on several packages. And then we started on again, and outside the town the road commenced to mount, We were going through farming country with rocky hills that sloped down into the fields. The grain fields went up the hillsides. And now as we went higher, there was a wind blowing the grain. The road was white and dusty, and the dust rose under the wheels and hung in the air behind us. The road climbed up into the hills and left the rich grain fields below. And now there were only patches of grain on the bare hillsides and on each side of the watercourses. We turned sharply out to the side of the road to give room to pass to a long string of six mules, following one after another, hauling a high-hooded wagon loaded with freight. The wagon and the mules were covered with dust. Close behind was another string of mules and another wagon. This was loaded with lumber, and the man driving the mules leaned back and put on the thick wooden brakes as we passed. Up here, the country was quite barren, and the hills were rocky and hard-baked clay furrowed by the rain. We came around a curve into a town, and on both sides opened out a sudden green valley. A stream went through the center of town, and fields of grapes touched the houses. The bus stopped in front of a Posada and many of the passengers got down, and a lot of the luggage was unstrapped from the roof from under the big tarpaulins and lifted down. Bill and I got down and went into the Posada. There was a low, dark room with saddles and harness and hay forks made of white wood and clusters of canvas, rope-soled shoes and hams and slabs of bacon and white garlics and long sausages hanging from the roof. It was cool and dusky, and we stood in front of a long wooden counter with two women behind it serving drinks. Behind them were shelves stacked with supplies and goods. We each had an agua ardiente and paid forty centimes for the two drinks. I gave the woman fifty centimes to make a tip, and she gave me back the copper piece, thinking I had misunderstood the price. Two of our Basques came in and insisted on buying a drink, So they bought a drink, and then we bought a drink, and then they slapped us on the back and bought another drink. And then we bought, and then we all went out into the sunlight and the heat and climbed back on top of the bus. There was plenty of room now for everyone to sit on the seat, and the Basque who had been lying on the tin roof now sat between us. The woman who had been serving drinks came out wiping her hands on her apron. She talked to somebody inside the bus. Then the driver came out swinging two flat leather mail pouches and climbed up. And everybody waving, we started off. The road left the Green Valley at once, and we were up in the hills again. Bill and the wine-bottle Basque were having a conversation. A man leaned over from the other side of the seat and asked in English, "'You're Americans?' "'Sure,' I said. i have been there forty years ago.' He was an old man, as brown as the others, with a stubble of white beard." ''How was it?'' I said. what you say? How was America?'' ''Oh, I was in California. It was fine.'' ''Why did you leave?'' I asked. what you say? Why did you come back here?'' ''Oh, I come back to get married. I was going to go back, but my wife, she don't like to travel. Where are you from?'' ''Kansas City,'' I said. ''I've been there. I've been in Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, Denver, Los Angeles, Salt Lake City.'' He named them carefully. ''How long were you over?'' Fifteen years. Then I come back and got married. "'Have a drink?' I asked. "'All right. You can't get this in America, eh? "'Well, there's plenty if you can pay for it. "'What you come over here for? "'We're going to the fiesta at Pamplona. "'You like the bullfights? "'Sure, don't you? "'Yes, I guess I like them.' "'And then after a little bit, "'Where you go now?' "'Up to Brigetta to fish,' I said. "'Well, I hope you catch something.' He shook hands and turned around again to the back seat. The other Basques had been impressed. He sat back comfortably and smiled at me when I turned around to look at the country. But the effort of talking American seemed to have tired him. He didn't say anything after that. We'll stop now and look forward to the next installment of Ernest Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises, read here on the bookshelf, produced by Vern Windham for Spokane Public Radio. I'm glad you joined us. I'm Doug Nadvornick.